before we get started. Uh, I'll probably cry at some point during this message. So I'm just telling you that ahead of time. So you're not like, what's wrong with that guy? I've warned you. And if I don't, all the better, but it could happen. Uh, And for some reason, it just happened. So I will apologize up front if it happens. Um, Secondly, uh, Rick talked about baptism. And this is maybe one of those moments where I'll cry. Um, My son got baptized a year ago. Uh, Caleb, he's our youngest. And Caleb... uh, Gail pointed this out when we first came back here. Caleb was, when Lisa and I were first attending ACF, Caleb was the little kid who was sleeping under the chairs. So to you guys, the rodents, that's where we were. Climbing around, they were poking their finger and doing all that stuff. Um, And so keep doing what you're doing. Um, Caleb went through uh, a divorce this year, a difficult year, and it seemed like the moment he got baptized, and this is not a commercial for baptism, (laughs) but the moment he got baptized, um, things started shaking up in his life for the good because he had some stuff that he had to make his own. Um, And and I share this just because it meant a lot to me. And I'll cry again, and uh, Bill, wherever you are, I know you'll never ask me to teach again. Um, But Caleb said to me in a text on Friday, so this is little rodent kids, little Carter kids grow up, they become adults. He said, easy year it's been. This is a son who moved to Florida, married, had great expectations for what life had before him, expected to go to grad school. The world got turned over with a pandemic and a bunch of stuff. He's out there painting instead of being in grad school. He's going through marital challenges. He's isolated. He's alone. He's battling some things of the flesh. Um, And God grabbed him. And then he said, the best year of my life. And so um, we go through stuff, and God is faithful. I will refer to this technology device in a little bit. Where's my assistant Malachi? Because I think it would be a lot easier if I had. Uh, Romans 17, uh, or 715, I'm sorry. Alexa, Alexis, I, I, know, I know it's Alexis. I just figured I'd pull on Alexa and see what she would do. Um, read this with me. Um, listen, listen to what Paul says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. This is a message. If you're under 30 years old, this is a message for you. If you're over 30 years old, this is a message for you. So we should be in good company. Um, I am here. I'm, uh, Rick, thank you for uh, your comments. I, I so appreciate our relationship. I'm a husband uh, to a beautiful wife who got a haircut recently that somebody said makes her look 10 years younger, and she does. She looks great. 
Um, I'll get in trouble for that later. I'm a father. I have four kids. Uh, the last one is grown. I work for a living. Um, and life can be really hard. Right? Um, I am, I think of the hymn, I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to be anxious. I'm prone to gossip. I'm prone to isolate. I'm prone to want approval. Um, I'm prone to lust. I'm prone to anger. Uh, I'm prone to that. And we all are as we isolate and wander away. That's why this is good, what we do here. Uh, I'm older than some of you, uh, younger than a few. You know, we're doing this journey called life, and I continue to learn things. And I think about my rearview mirror uh, gets deeper and deeper, meaning I have things to look back on in terms of God's faithfulness. That when you're young, you don't have a rearview mirror. You don't have much, so you're just like, "Uh, I guess I trust God. Uh, But as you get older, you're like, he proved himself over and over and over. And those lessons are so critical to marching forward because you got that rearview mirror. Um, And I find that as I get older, um, my wife may testify to this or against this. You can pull her aside later. Uh, But I think I'm a little less anxious than I used to be. I, I feel like I'm less angry about stuff. I feel like I don't need approval. No offense to all of you. (laughs) I don't need it as much as I used to. Um, And God's word has helped me with that. And I hope that what we talk about today helps you as well. Um, Pastor Bill is out of town and he asked if I uh, wouldn't mind teaching. And so this is, I chose not to go where you guys left off in, uh, in the second Peter. First, second, <laughs> I do pay attention. Um, uh, second Peter, and I just felt like I wanted to share what I'm about to share. And I think it's an important principle uh, to understand. I don't know if I understood this early on in my Christian walk. It's simple, and you all nod probably when we go through this. You're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Um, but I pray that you understand it in a deeper way. Um, I pray that when you walk out that door where it says exit, that you actually walk thinking about some things today. Because it's so easy. It's like there's this TSA device that when you walk out, it's just like everything you learn gets zapped out and off you go into the week. And you're like, I don't know if it mattered. So I pray it matters. I pray it matters every week. Um, I'm passionate about, um, about this book. I'm passionate about it for a whole host of reasons, and I just have referred to it as the compass of life because I think about um, how do we know where we're going? You know, life is crazier than ever, society is crazier than ever, and we need a compass more than ever. And so there's a lot of people sort of telling other people, oh, this is the right way, and this is the right way. I just know it. I know it. um, I know it more today than I ever have. I think it's important um, the way, and I am uh, a believer in this, that the way Rick teaches and Bill teach the Bible through the Bible is just important. I'm passionate about that. I just think it's so important to teach it that way because then you get the whole counsel of God. I think of there's a verse, uh, Paul, in the book of Acts towards the end of his ministry, 
So not the beginning, but at the end. This is a guy who's got more wisdom. Life's coming closer to ending. And one of the things he says that he didn't shun from teaching the whole counsel of God. So when you go through all of Scripture, you're teaching the whole counsel of God, not just a couple things here and there and then what you think about life. So I just, I'm grateful. Thank you. I guess it was 15 years ago ish. 20? I'm not that old. <laughs> 20? Uh, and we've been back for one year? Am I wrong on everything? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. So just, I'm wrong on everything. <laughs> um, we we uh, sort of did a boomerang thing. Uh, it's not important why, but we did a boomerang thing, and we're so grateful to be back. I know. Uh, I think Dave had shared uh, a, a bit ago just how grateful he was for this family. And I look out, and you know, not that long ago, I didn't know any of you. Um, I know a lot of you now, not everybody, but I just am grateful for the relationships. Word is important, and I think about, and Amy would love this because we wrestled through the correct uh, uh, scripture number, but Alexis. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16. See, I'm messing her up already. Um, This is just a verse. Memorize this. Memorize this. Everybody knows John 3.16. So so you've memorized half of this already. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, not the parts I like, but even the parts I don't like, all Scripture is God-breathed, looking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I mean, that's really important. That's why we're here, right? So that we can be taught, we can be rebuked, we can be corrected, and we can be trained in righteousness. That's why we do this. So if you're ever like, well, why do we spend so much time? That's why. The other thing that um, is another verse that I think is important. And by the way, there's a chance, a small chance, maybe a big chance, because I know I was, you might be rebuked today. And are you okay with that? Um, and rebuked is being convinced that maybe I'm wrong about something. And that's okay. Uh, a lot of us here have notions of things in life. Maybe we're wrong. And God's word has the ability to rebuke us, right? Um, It has a chance to correct us. And correcting is, okay, I was wrong. Let me just get headed in the right direction on that. And that's good. That's good stuff. So that's why it's so important that we go through all of Scripture. Um, We got to be humble. We got to be teachable. There's another verse about God's word I just wanted to point out. Romans 10, 17, it says this. It says, and you don't have it, Alexis. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing pastor and right in front of his pulpit. That's the verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That equation is when you go through the word of God, you get faith. And that's one of the things that's also important about what we're doing is that we're growing in our faith. And here's an interesting verse. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, and remember, faith comes by hearing God's word, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Again, that's why we go through the Word of God. God loves, loves, loves when his people believe him. That's what faith is. We can't see how it happens. That's called trust. When we trust in God, he actually loves that. He loves it, loves it, loves it, so much so that Jesus talked a lot about faith. And I just want to read you a couple quick things about what Jesus said about faith. He said, at one point, your faith has healed you. At one point, he said, I'm amazed at your lack of faith. At one point, he rebuked their lack of faith. Another situation, when he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He said, in another case, I've not seen such great faith even in Israel. And a lot of you know where these verses are. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. I think she touched the robe. Um, He said to the disciples, where is your faith? And then he also said, your faith has made you well. He talked about faith a lot. And one of the things in Romans it also says is that we can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Um, We went to this men's opportunity in Philadelphia, leadership, men's retreat. My faith was encouraged by others' faith. Uh, that's what happens. That's what happens in the five minutes before teaching. That's what happens at the end of um, service. It happens what's before service. It's why we come together. If we don't, we're prone to wander. Another uh, important part of God's word is this last thing, is that if you hold to my teaching, Jesus, Jesus said in John eight thirty one, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so that's another reason we spend time in God's word, because the truth of his word can free us of so much. And I know, because I'm part of you, that there's a lot of things that shackle all of us. And we have a chance to be set free. Uh, And that's from the Word of God. So that's why we're here. That's why we're doing that. Um, I'm going to offend. Am I allowed to offend anybody, Rick? Okay, okay. (laughs) So listen, I'm a a technology junkie. Um, I think Rick. Suhaki is the only guy, maybe is a little bit more than I am. We're close. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm around a generation of kids who show up at church like this. This is their Bible. And I get it. We can read your Bible on your phone or your iPad. I Come to church with your Bible. Come to church with a pen in hand if you don't. Come to church and turn the pages. Come to church and take... You're allowed to do this if you didn't know. You can take a pen and you can write notes in your Bible. Do that. I know you will be blessed. I, I enjoy so much in my Bible. How many years ago were we here? 20? I have notes of a guy named Pastor Rick that are 20 years old as I flip through and we go through the teaching of God's word, and that's such a blessing. I don't know how you do that. We encourage and maybe offend some of you. Bring your Bible to church. All right. 
Can you throw up Romans uh, 7, verse 15 up there again? I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And so let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this family. We just thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that you, your Holy Spirit, would just fall afresh on us. We we pray, Lord, that it would do what you want it to do. I pray that I would get out of the way, Lord. You would be magnified. Thank you that you didn't leave us without your written word and without your Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So a uh, quick background, we're going to go through, we're going to hang out in Romans for a little bit. Um, Romans was written by Paul uh, around AD 57. He wrote it from Corinth, not Corinth up here, but he wrote it from Corinth. Um, and it was written about three years before this 16-year-old kid, uh, his name was Nero, had ascended to the throne to be the emperor of Rome. And during the time that Paul wrote this book, it was a relatively peaceful time. That would change uh, about uh, seven years later, AD 67, when the great fire of Rome burned through the city. And this was a fire that lasted six days, and then it was put out. And then it came back, it reignited, and it burned for three more days, and it just destroyed two-thirds of the city of Rome. And Nero used the Christians as a scapegoat. He blamed the Christians for that. And it was really the first time Christians were really persecuted in that way. And so uh, that's sort of the time period that this happened. The Book of Romans, I don't know... And I so much enjoyed Hebrews on Wednesday night. I, and I don't even know if I'm saying this right. Rick will correct me afterwards if I'm wrong. But Romans is like this awesome theological book to the Gentiles as in the same way that Hebrews is that book to the Jewish people. Both are great books with um, great systematic understanding of really what we would call theology. Um, it, it deals, the book of Romans deals with, uh, our grace. It deals with justification by faith, redemption, sanctification, all sorts of topics. It's an important book to understand. Uh, in it is this thing called the Romans road that you may have heard. Um, the Romans road is just a great, I think a great way to sort of understand the gospel message, understand how to share your faith maybe with somebody. And it's just a bunch of verses particular that, weave through the book of Romans that tell the gospel story. Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23 speak about none righteous, no, not one, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Uh, and then Roman eight, uh, Romans 5.8 goes on to explain that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for us and everyone who calls on the name of uh, the Lord will be saved. It's just an important book. So, uh, Great book to just study through. And Rick, I I don't know when you taught it. I'm sure in that 20 years that we weren't here, you did (laughs) many times. Um, Paul wrote that book, uh, and Paul wrote half of the New Testament, 14 of the 27 books. He wrote a lot. So there's this theological genius. He's like the super apostle, Paul. 
And yet, he says, Romans 7, 15, he said, For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate to do, I do. So it just, you, you have to kind of ponder. Huh. Um, with all of uh, the theology, the scholarly stuff, the dates and times and kings and emperors and fires and all that, it really doesn't matter if we can't apply what happens here to our life when we walk out that door. So I love the acronym OIA. I shared it, I think, on a Wednesday night. But it's the acronym, uh, when reading our Bible, to observe what the text says, to interpret it in light of all of Scripture, and then to apply it to our lives. We can observe everything and read, and then we're history junkies, like, oh, that's really interesting. And then we walk out, nothing changes. We can read the history stuff and say, oh, that's interesting. Let me interpret what I think it means. Or then we can go the step further. How do I apply that to me with where I'm at? And so I want to encourage you to think about applying this message. Um, he says, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I do. Raise your hands if that's you. All right, I'm in good company. Um, Let's read this. If we can, Alexis, put up a 721. We're going to read through this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering, and so he condemns the requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, 
The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Let me pause here for a second. We were praying uh, before church started in the, the room off to the side. And this is just the way God just, you know, gives glimpses of his presence. Is uh, As soon as I sat down in the chair and I looked up to just start praying with uh, these guys and gals, there's a poster on the wall. And if this, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, and it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Amen. Let's go home. Um, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. You know, it's interesting in science, um, a theory is, a, is an explanation of why things happen. It's a theory. We think this is why things happen. A law, how, however, tells us what happens. Um, am I right? You, smart, you, you nodded. All right, I think I'm accurate. Fact check. Um, theories often change. Uh, laws rarely, if ever, change. Theories change. Laws don't change. Theories, after they're proven out and get tested, become laws. Gravity is a law of nature. It's not going to change. Paul uses in this section the term law um, for distinct different ways. So these are things that Paul is saying, this is what it is. Not like I think maybe this is it. Uh, He describes four distinct laws. And so it's just an important um, pause to make. There's the law of our mind. There's the law of sin and death. And there's God's law or the Ten Commandments. Those are the different laws he talks about. And again, Paul doesn't use this the theory of the Ten Commandments, the theory of the law of the theory of the Spirit. He doesn't. It's the law, and I just think that that's a noteworthy point. Chapter eight, uh, verse one, then uh, started with this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. And let me just make a personal note. This whole section of scripture. I'm not going to pretend I got it nailed. It is so um, freeing and deep and obvious and complicated and freeing. It's a lot of things, but it's worth chewing on. And I hope you chew on this even after we leave. I'm going to do my best on how how God has revealed it to me. Uh, And I pray that 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 he would minister to you. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you're born again, let me just say, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit has come inside of you. That's a supernatural thing. If you're not born again, you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That You can go through Scripture. I'm confident in saying that. If you're born again, something supernatural happened when you got born again. The Holy Spirit has come inside of you. You need to know that clearly. We're going to talk about that more. The law of sin and death in that we're no longer condemned. It says there is therefore no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could end here and now, and we'd be in a good place, right? So many of us walk in condemnation. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But that, hang on to that. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ. It doesn't say there's no condemnation if you're in Christ and are perfect. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Paul says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. What the Ten Commandments was powerless to do because of our flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And I love this. And so he condemned sin. He con- God con- this is hard to get my arms around. God condemned sin. It says, and so he condemn- condemned sin in the flesh. He fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It is worth noting um, that the Ten Commandments was powerless to save people, right? You get that? They're not really God's rules to live by. We can't live by them. They're actually God's standards for holiness. And they're a mirror for us to look at to say, I can't do this. Anybody who thinks that they're without sin, just just go to the first commandment and hang out there for about eight seconds. And then if you think you're you're okay there, go to the second. And just, we're all sinners. And so... Therefore, the Ten Commandments aren't going to save anybody. It was powerless to do that. To get to heaven, it wouldn't work. Do we all understand that? It wouldn't work. It was, so that's why Paul says it was powerless. The law was powerless. He says it was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. Us. So it just that formula didn't work. It was weakened by the flesh. It was in an ineffective way to achieve righteousness. And so as Pastor Rick would often say, are you following me? (laughs) Are you following me? Important, right? Uh, God did something else. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and then he condemned sin. 
sin was condemned. In your, if you're in the courtroom, the judge is standing up there, and you're in the room, and he says, sin of Tom, you're condemned. He doesn't say, Tom, you're condemned. He takes my sin nature, and he says, you're condemned. So many of us walk thinking we're condemned, even those who know better. We don't walk in that grace. We don't walk in that freedom. We still walk condemned. He condemned the sin, not me. Hang on that. The righteous requirements of God's holy law are fully met in that. If we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have been forgiven, and our sin is condemned by the judge. We're free. Further up in Romans, it says this, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. That's what was condemned. That. It's done. It's it, that part's been condemned. We're free. My son, uh, our son, Caleb, uh, called me yesterday. He knew I was teaching today. He's like, what are you teaching on? And I, I was chatting with him for a couple minutes about uh, just this idea. And I said to him, I said, um, I said, you know, it's sin, not me but sin that's condemned by God. The sin has been condemned. And I, you know, I know that. But just seeing it clearly, not me, but the sin is what's been condemned. As he and I spoke about that, he interrupted me. And he said, Dad, I just feel like I had a vision or a glimpse of what grace is. And I just thought, I mean, that's it. That's what grace is. It's, it's the fact that we can walk with no condemnation, even when we make mistakes. We can walk in grace. And I know that the enemy, the accuser, would love to accuse us every time we do something wrong. Like, look, you're no good. And I'm telling you and me, Our sin, that old nature, he condemned that. It's done. We can walk in freedom. Does not mean we're perfect. But don't try to be. Our sin is condemned. I think that's called good news. Yeah? Paul gives us a warning in light of that good news, let me just share how I see this. We can still choose to live according to the flesh. And there's, there's consequences. If there weren't, he wouldn't warn about it. Our sin is condemned, and we can walk in grace. But if we choose to walk in our old nature... There are just practical consequences. Paul warns about it in Corinthians and Galatians. Though, and he's, verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit 
have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Paul says the minds that are set on or governed by, and I kind of like look that up. What does that really mean, minds set on or governed by? And these were two words, in the, and these aren't perfect definitions, but to entertain is what, you know, the things we set our minds on are the things we entertain or we take great interest in. If we're interesting ourselves or entertaining ourselves in the things of the flesh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what the flesh is. It's not just the sensual flesh. It's, we'll talk about that. But if you set your mind and your interest on those things, there are consequences of that. Even though our sin is condemned, positionally, we can still live a very defeated life because we have our mind set on the things of the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even your body is subject to death because of sin. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. To me, to us, the poster on the wall uh, in that room, and if the Spirit, I mean, think about this. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit, as I said, enters us. That same spirit who raised God from the dead lives in you. I suspect, because I some of you, some of me, often walk through the day forgetting that that same Holy Spirit who, ra- who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead is inside of you, and you're not walking with any acknowledgement of that. You're potentially ignoring that fact, that law, and you're walking through life just trying to be good and do good works. And yet the Spirit who raised God, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I mean, what does that mean? How should we walk then? The Holy Spirit comes in us. Unfortunately, the old nature doesn't go away. Before we're born again, we only have an old nature. It's called the flesh. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And now inside of you are these two natures. That's tough. Uh, We have the old nature, the new nature. So this Holy Spirit, um, who is the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to do an exhaustive, but let me just say a couple things about the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity Jesus was full of the Holy Holy Spirit to those who ask. The Holy Spirit teaches us, reminds us. He is our advocate. 
He provides power. Power. I know some of us get tired. He provides power. It's a gift from, he's a gift from God. He directs us. He fills us with joy. We can conjure up happiness and do fun things like go for a boat ride, water ski. That may be fun. I don't know that that's joy. He provides joy. He, the Holy Spirit. He warns us. He confirms truth in us. He lives in us. Our body is the temple of him. He can be grieved. He distributes various gifts to us. He is a person. He gives us joy. He was sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit is a person. A person is somebody who has an identity. A person is someone who is conscious about their own existence. A person is somebody who has knowledge, has feelings. You can't be grieved unless you have feelings. A person is somebody who has a will. He can be insulted. He can give love. He can receive love. He thinks. He can choose and decide. He is a counselor. He is a He performs miracles. He convicts of sin. He can create. He can be resisted. He can be lied to. He can direct people. The Holy Spirit has the characteristics of a person. He is a person. He acts like a person, is treated like a person, has the ministry of a person. He's, in, he's mentioned in connection with other persons. He's the third person of the Trinity and personal. And he lives in you. I want to challenge you to think about that when you walk under that exit sign, that you're walking out of here. If you're born again with the Holy Spirit person in you, do you even have a relationship that you are deliberate in thinking about with that person? Those who live according to the flesh, the old nature, have their mind set on what that old nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. What does that look like, to have your mind set on what the flesh desires? We have two. We have the old nature and the Spirit of God living in us, you get to decide moment by moment, where am I going to set my mind to? Our flesh, our old nature has, let me just describe the flesh. The flesh has its mind set on physical things, temporal things, sensual things, our desires, our feelings, our appetites, our emotions, what feels good, what I want to do, what I want, what I desire, materialism, the news of today, the concerns of now, entertainment, it's carnally minded. Here's my second opportunity to offend. Can I offend? This is just a, this is just a, it's Memorial Day. And I say this with just the utmost respect. I, I just, I just, I feel like during this whole pandemic thing, I saw so many Christians acting in the flesh. 
um, fighting, arguing for what they believe was our country and freedoms of our country. And I guess I'm not going to judge any of that other than to simply say, as we finish this in a bit, keep in mind you can sometimes put your ideology above your theology. Let's just make sure our theology is above our ideology because it's a dangerous thing to start thinking that America is God and that this nation is everything and that's the most important thing. It's I love our country and I so appreciate those who've gone before and fought for its freedoms. But don't mistake that that's God. Keep that in balance and that's a process that any way you want. We can do things out of the flesh. We can do church out of the flesh. We can do church where revelation, I stand, you know, Jesus is outside the door knocking. I stand at the door and knock. Meanwhile, we're all doing church. The music's loud and cranking, and we're all doing the programs that man has set out. Jesus is standing outside the door knocking. I knock at the door. If anyone would come and just, like, let me in, no, we're too busy. We got too many things going on. We don't have, we're not listening to you. We're just doing church. That's the flesh. That's what the flesh looks like. The spirit uh, has its mind set on the immaterial, the eternal, people's souls, our kids' souls, being an example, God's will, learning his wisdom, spending time in his word, serving, discovering our gifts, seeking God's direction and wisdom. You know, when Lisa and I talk about our kids, I, and this is just, and I'm grateful for this, I never think about their jobs. Like, oh, how's your job going? I just, I just know God will take care of that stuff. I don't think about success being job. John, th- 3 John 1, 4, and I mean this with my whole heart, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The rest is stuff. Therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 12, we have an obligation. An obligation means we got to do stuff. This is not going to get us to heaven. We're not going to earn our way to heaven. But there are some things we have to do. We have an obligation, and it is not to the flesh to to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, I think about worship. I'm privileged. I'm looking at the clock. (laughs) I'm privileged uh, to even be part of worship at times. And as I get older, um, here's what I've learned about worship. Worship is, for me, it is a declaration back to God of what we've learned from this pulpit and from God's Word. And if if you take time and are deliberate about listening and paying attention to the words we're singing... What we are is we're singing back to him 
the truth that came down from him for us. And to me, it's a great way to say, I believe this. That's why I'm singing. So I want to encourage you, um, when, you when we're here in worship on, uh, before service starts or as service starts, this is your chance to just say, God, I believe this. That's why I'm singing it to you. I'm not just singing a song that has a good beat, or, but that's what it should be, right? So we should be able to worship in theory with a kazoo or nothing um, or better, right? <laughs> um, I, not many years ago, I was in a tough chapter of life. It was, um, it was a dark time for me. My wife is probably saying, really? What? I don't remember. <laughs> this is me. I was depressed. I was oppressed. I felt alone. I felt overwhelmed. I had job pressures that just, I just felt like they were breaking me. I had identity challenges. I just had stuff going on. I really felt alone. I felt alone. And it was a, it was a chapter I was traveling a lot. So I was on airplanes all the time. I was traveling overseas. And I, I remember distinctly heading overseas and just feeling like I was leaving nothing and heading to nothing. I was leaving challenges and I was going to a meeting where I knew when the day of meeting is done, all the leaders of the company I worked for, they were all going to go out and drink. And if you didn't, you were like an oddball, like career impacting kind of stuff. It was just hard. It was hard. And I just didn't, and I, I just struggled. I struggled. And I, um, I had, uh, just a playlist on my iPhone, and it was a song I wasn't that familiar with that came on, and it just ministered to me. And um, I'd like to sing it for you now, if you don't mind. Rick, could you cue up the music? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but hear the words. I'm not going to sing it. And you know it. You know the song. Uh, I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And Mark, I know you know that song. That truth helped me. And what's interesting, verse 14, for though, and this is just, again, us just declaring the truth that has come down from his word. For those of you who are led by the spirit of God are children of God, child of God, that you receive, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you, you no longer live in fear again. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's right out of Romans. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. We are God's children. Now, if we are children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. We have two natures in us. I, I've shared with my kids, and I want you to think about this. You have two natures. Think of it as two lions inside of you. Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to grow stronger. And whichever one you don't feed is going to starve. And if you have two lions living in you, and you're feeding the flesh and ignoring the spirit, you might, it might not be a surprise 
why life is the way it is. And so there's a person called the Holy Spirit living in you. If you never mind him, allow yourself to be governed by him, feed that part of your life, and all you feed is the flesh. You're going to have a lion in you called the flesh that roars and dominates your life. And I want to encourage you to be deliberate about that. We have an, Paul says we have an obligation Even as Christians, we can be feeding the flesh. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, Paul said this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. He said, I I can't address you like you live by the Spirit because you don't. But I address you as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Let's walk like the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Paul gives this wisdom for life and peace. For for life and peace. He suggests we do something and says, Paul says we have this obligation to set our minds on the Spirit and have our minds governed by him. Some of you think, well, maybe I can do both. I can have the best of both worlds. I had a friend who came to me, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago. He said, hey, Tom, remember when you and Lisa were at our house for a picnic and our kids were smaller. Rodents, you can try this and see if this works. And we were in their backyard, and we had our four kids, and they had, I think, two or three kids. And for whatever reason, I said this. I said, hey, kids, go jump up on the fence that's around the yard. They had a, a picket fence, wooden picket fence. I said, I want you to sit on the fence, and I want you to have one foot and leg on one side of the fence and the other leg on the other side of the fence. And they all got up on the fence like, oh, this is cool. And they're sitting there. And they're like, oh. And I just, I, we kept them there for like three minutes. And I said, like, how does that feel? And they, you know, it was painful. And that's what it's like to go through this life. If you want to have one leg in the world and entertain the flesh and one leg, it's not, there's no joy in that. There's just no joy in that. So it's a warning. It's a warning. I work in uh, healthcare. Um, I work specifically in the diagnostic space. Uh, in diagnostics, what is that? It's the practice of diagnosing things. What is diagnosing things? It's the identification of the nature of an illness or a problem. It's how you figure out what's wrong with something. Uh, the my company uh, that that I work for, we do over four thousand unique tests on blood, skin, body fluids. We're the largest laboratory in the world. Doctors use us to help identify problems of the flesh. I have found that there's a diagnostic test in the Bible for our spirit and to see if we have our minds set on the spirit. So I often think, okay, let's stick a thermometer in my mouth. How am I doing? Let me read the thermometer and see what it says. I want to stick a thermometer in all of our mouths right now. If you'll go to Galatians 5, Alexis. Galatians 5, read this with me. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Does it keep going? Yeah. Okay. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Do we have one more? Faithfulness. Gentleness. Thank you. Um, Diagnostic test number one. The acts of the flesh are all those things we just read. They're kind of ugly. I looked up the definition. I don't want to. I don't want to get hung up in just the words because you're like, I'm not into witchcraft. Let me just read some of the definitions of each of those words from the Greek. The flesh is pornography, luxury, lustful, wantonness, worship of wealth, use of drugs, magical arts, horoscopes, hostility towards your opposition, contention, strife fighting, quarreling, constantly debating, envy, anger boiling up and boiling down, self-promoting, division, disunion, trying to tear apart, the act of taking or capturing, storming a city, jealousy, intoxication, reveling, rioting, partying. That's the acts of the flesh. So you can stick that thermometer in your mouth and say, hmm. Uh, The other test is maybe I am walking in the spirit. And my son, uh, Caleb, he gets a lot of kudos today. Um, He said, Dad, it's not the fruits of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. Meaning you can't pick one of these and say, well, I'm that. If we're walking in the spirit This fruit is one thing. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. It's been condemned. And its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have an obligation. We, got, we have a choice. We don't have to walk in the spirit. We can walk in the flesh. But if you're a person who finds yourself angry, selfish, you have fits of rage, you find yourself jealous, um, there's hatred in you, there's discord, flooded with that stuff. And so that's my warning and my encouragement to you. Last verse, uh, Galatians 6, 7. Do not, this is like a law. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Do we have the next part of that? 
um, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You want to come up? I'm going to just wrap up with a thought. As Rick is uh, coming up, here's a question I just want you to think about. First of all, is the Holy Spirit living inside of you? I don't know that. If you're born again, he is. If you're not, and you've never asked him to come inside of you, today's the day. If he is living inside of you, my second question is, is he ruling and reigning, or is your flesh ruling and reigning? And I guess as Rick and Aaron lead us in worship, I don't want to do anything fancier, but here's what I would say. Rick, Rick and Aaron are going to lead us in a song. I'm going to turn it over to Rick. But be bold. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you and you want him to come inside of you, just during this song, just raise your hand. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you're like, I feel conviction. I have been chasing after the things of the flesh, and I want to mind the Spirit in me, and I want Him to rule and reign in my life. Also raise your hand. Just start, and it, that's just between you and God. It's not for anybody else, but just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. And I pray, Lord, and I'm going to pray right now, Lord, that as we just wrap up with a song that your Holy Spirit would have its way in our life, that it would, he would rain down on us, that we would be people empowered by your power, by the joy that comes from you, that we would walk in that. And we're grateful that the same power, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead can be invited to come inside of us, and we can walk in that. Amen.